Hey, have you heard about the Kingdom Business University? It's the most practical, hands-on business coaching program available today. Essentially, we handhold you through all the steps you need to build a highly profitable and highly influential business. The best part is we put you into a small group cohort, which means that we can hold you really accountable. Outside of your fortnightly session, you'll have access to an online learning platform 24-7. To find out more, go to kingdombusiness.com.au. Hey guys, I just did a really good interview with Mark McCrindle. Well, it's less of an interview and more of just him teaching. Uh, Mark runs a large research firm in Australia. He's a committed believer and I got him to talk about how to lead Australians in this unprecedented time. And he's got some amazing stats and some amazing knowledge on the things that we can be doing right now, but also how to prepare kind of looking forward and forecasting and looking at the trends of what's to come post COVID. Anyway, dial in right now, watch Mark, he's got a lot of gold for you. Well guys, uh, thank you so much for watching. Uh, this is exciting for me. I'm about to do a bit of an interview and you're gonna hear from Mark McCrindle, who has his own firm, is a research firm uh, called McCrindle uh, Research. And uh, I actually met Mark at a Gospel Crusade event earlier this year. I think we had passed a few times before that, but actually got to chat earlier this year. And and uh, he's got an amazing amount of knowledge um, around trends and where we're going. And, uh, and I just reached out to him and said, hey guys, what, you know, what, what can we do about uh, getting some COVID-related trends? What can we expect? Where are we going? And he said, yeah, I've got a, I've got a great topic. Um, so before we get into the topic, Mark, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about your firm? Well, thanks, Wes. Delighted to be chatting with you and uh, and all that you do with the Kingdom Business is fantastic. And I really resonate with that because we want to run a business here that's having impacts uh, and making a difference for people and equipping uh, mainstream society and, and organizations, but uh, ministries and, and Christian churches as well through our research. Uh, we spend a lot of our time running market research, surveys, in-depth interviews, focus groups, that sort of thing, so that we can help our clients and the broader society just understand what the lay of the land is from a consumer, from a community, from a, a market perception uh, approach. Uh, we then do a lot of demographic analysis and demographic modeling so we get a sense as to where are things going and how is the growth impacting and uh, what are the different generations or uh, the different segments are uh, uh, producing and what are the emerging attitudes we need to be across. Uh, we do a lot of big data analytics, we do a lot of data visualization and also just from a strategy perspective, help organizations understand not just where things are at, but where they're headed from a trends perspective so they can be prepared for what's next. Yeah, that's so good. And I, I noticed, um, I, I don't, I've got nothing to compare you to, but you put out these really well-produced graphics um, and uh, I find them to be so good in terms of their our ability to digest, um, you know, what is actually quite complex, brought down to something quite simple. And, uh, you know, I've seen quite a few of those cards over the years, and I think that they're, they're just fantastic to be able to get a snapshot of, of what's going on. I'm sure they're, there's a thousand hours of work that goes into making <laughs> it simple, but, uh, but I really appreciate that. Um, now, I'd also noticed uh, Mary with five children or four children? What did I, I saw uh, online? Five kids, yes. That's five right. kids, yeah. yeah. Well, yes. I, uh, so, I, yeah noticed, I, I noticed some photos of quite a long time ago. I just had a quick look through social and there was, you had some photos taken out in the woods and when your kids were really young, I think it was about 2010 or something, like it was a long time ago. 
just had our, our youngest born then. So, uh, yes, yeah, so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun on the home front and uh, particularly in a work from home environment, it just adds to the, adds to the chaos, uh, but also the fun, as I'm sure we're all finding. Uh, multiple people working from home, kids studying from home, chaos everywhere, but uh, it's a delight yeah. uh, amidst this uh, challenge as well. Of course. So your uh, your topic is uh, leading teams in unprecedented times. Um, you know, Australia amidst COVID nineteen. So uh, that's enough for me. Hey, why don't you? Uh, we'll hand over to you. You you come and teach us about you know what we can learn from this and how we can lead teams. And and uh, I'm just going to kind of sit back and listen and learn from you too. Well, thanks a lot, Wes. Uh, it's great to have this topic to present on and what unprecedented times we are in and all the more important at a time like this for leaders to step up and lead. And that requires us to understand our teams and the context in which we are leading so that we can step forward and give that strong leadership and direction that people look for in uncertain times. It was at the World Economic Forum recently that Justin Trudeau said, the pace of change has never been this fast and it will never be this slow again. And I think that really sums up this era that, uh, wow, we are moving at pace and yet it's not going to slow down. The pace that we are seeing at the moment is uh, speeding up, if anything. I had a Gen Y share recently and I've got it here on the slide. Uh, she said, I've now lived through five decades, the 1980s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s and March and April 2020. It was like a decade in itself and I'm sure we've all felt that. Uh, a lot has gone on in this era. So, wow, 2020, it was the year that offered such expectation, such opportunity, and uh, well, it's been not quite what we all thought. I'm sure we can all relate a little bit to SpongeBob here in this image. He's got his 2020 business strategy all ready to go, and there it goes into the fire. Let's start over because it was not predicted uh, that we would have such a start as this to the year. I mean, just think back to late February when the ASX 200 was at record levels above the 7,100 mark. And here we are a couple of months later uh, at 5,400, having lost a quarter of its value in that period of time. That is the volatility, the uncertainty, the disruption that we're living in at this moment. Now, this decade has brought that anyway, uh, but this year has really highlighted that. And so when it comes to our strategy and our business planning, you know, it used to be linear. It used to be sequential and structured. We'd look at where we we're at, we would make decisions, we would set forward plans, we would track towards the future. But that approach doesn't work in these sorts of times. Think of the words that define these times. And it highlights that we're not moving to the future, but in so many ways, the future is coming at us. Uh, and in it is bringing with it this disruption and this uncertainty. We've perhaps heard the term VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. And you add to that what we need in this time, adaption and innovation. Uh, we're seeing exponential charts and graphs we're seeing and hearing much about unprecedented, perhaps the unprecedented word, use of the word unprecedented. That's this era. And it has created a sense of change fatigue. As we were closing out 2019 and the decade that that brought us, 
we surveyed Australians and asked them this question. How do you feel about the amount of change society has experienced in the last decade? Technological, demographic, social change. Well, it was a big decade of change and Australians were fatigued by it. Uh, you can see on the graph here that every person that said positive about the change, even more said concerned. For every person who said energized and empowered, even more said overwhelmed and fatigued. That's what we were experiencing anyway as we were leading into 2020. Uh, and now with these last few months, it's at a whole new level. I'm sure we can all relate to this grandmother here who was uh, presented with um, a new remote control with lots of buttons uh, for that TV, a bit overwhelmed by it all. Uh, her young grandson brought a solution with a little bit of masking tape, as you can see, and solved her problem. Uh, not a bad solution to reduce the complexity, but that doesn't work in our life and society and these times. The times we have are the times we have to deal with. And so it is important for leaders to understand this context, to get a sense as to where things are going and to lead their teams effectively through it. The ABS Bureau of Statistics has been conducting some great research over the last couple of weeks as we move through this COVID crisis. And this one highlights the impacts. Most businesses have been impacted significantly already just in these last uh, eight weeks. And they've responded um, through cutting staff and through readjusting rent. You can see here, uh, two thirds of businesses have seen already a reduction in cash flow. And we know that a lot of the impacts are downline, but already um, more than two thirds have, have felt the pain. Only 4% have seen an increase, by the way. So uh, you get a sense as to where it's going. Almost half have changed staff arrangements in terms of stand downs or reduced hours, uh, relocations. Uh, more than a third have already renegotiated a property rent or leases. So you get a sense as to the impacts on businesses instantly that we have faced in this time with a long way to go. So. As leaders, we need to understand this context and think about how we're going to respond. Now, it's all been brought about, of course, because of the health crisis, but the health crisis leads to a financial crisis. Let's think about COVID-19 for a moment and look at how we're traveling here in Australia. And we've heard the term a lot, flatten the curve, and we have flattened it superbly. You can see the trajectory we are on here, and that is a model textbook case in pandemic management. Uh, and we share that flat line with some of the other nations you can see there, uh, South Korea and New Zealand, uh, Taiwan in that uh, in that impressive situation. You've got others that haven't managed it as well. I mean, the start was pretty good in Singapore, but you can see that curve has risen a little bit. Japan is looking okay, but has had a, a second uh, impact. And of course, Italy, we've been watching the challenges there, but uh, at the top of the chart in terms of uh, slower to flatten that curve, uh, the US and the UK. So we've been very blessed here in Australia with a great response and great leadership. And it's come about because of this. Aussies are complying with the public health guidelines. 98% have practiced social distancing. You know, the best models, the best case models, uh, build in a 90% compliance. Uh, so we're well above that. And that's why we're seeing such a model response. 88% have avoided public spaces or events. Uh, so we really are 
uh, managing how we how we handle it as individuals, going to the shops less, avoiding those trips out. It has impacted all things, and even where's Wally? It's a little bit easier to manage these days because he's the only guy on the street to spot in an era of social distancing. Well, the result of all of this uh, has led to this impressive flattening of that bell curve. You know, this graph looks at the daily new confirmed cases, and you can see we saw our peaks in late March and into early April, uh, but since then it's been a great news story. Now you get a sense as to what will be produced here as you look at the May data, and that is a long tail. And so it's not as though job done and dusted with COVID-19, that tail that we see through May will continue on. What worries public health officials, and I'm sure we're getting this communication as we get across the information, is the worries about further waves. If we look at the Spanish flu, this is how it flowed. Uh, there was that initial wave that was the big focus, and then uh, people thought it was done and dusted, but the second wave was bigger than the first, and the subsequent wave are significant as well. Can we get the second waves in Australia? Well, we can. In fact, you look at the Tasmanian data and that looks pretty much like a second wave to me. And it follows that situation that we often have with these pandemics with the second wave bigger than the first. So that's what's keeping the public health officials up late at night. That's why we're seeing very conservative uh, releasing of the lockdown or restrictions and uh, and so it will take a while for us to uh, emerge from this uh, as a society. Now if we look at the Spanish flu waves for a moment you can see that there were four months peak to peak between the first and the second wave and another four months uh, between the second and the third. So there's going to be great conservatism uh, from the epidemiologists as we manage this because of the delay that can take place between a resurgence of the impacts. Um, and it's a little surprise to find this ABS study that Australians are concerned, two and three concerned or very concerned about their personal health during COVID. And what's I think remarkable about this graph is that there is hardly any difference between the level of concern amongst the over 65s and the level of concern amongst the rest of adults, the 18 to 64s, regardless of age, there is high concern. And that is why Australians have uh, taken this upon themselves to lock down, to self-isolate, to reduce their public interactions and to comply by those public health instructions of hand washing and uh, uh, social distancing, et cetera. Now, uh, the, the other uh, challenge in all of this is that we are moving into our winter uh, and our flu season, whereas in, uh, in much of the world, the Northern Hemisphere, they're of course moving out of it. So let's have a look at flu for a moment and how that's played out in Australia over the last six years. You can see that flu cases, well, let's have a look at last year, which was a horror season. And, uh, and it was peaking our flu in, uh, in July. Uh, now, what would be a bad outcome is if the COVID situation is, is overlapping with a big flu outbreak here in Australia, and that's just gonna cause uh, further challenge uh, in terms of demand on uh, public health facilities, in terms of reduced health 
across the population generally, and in terms of increased fear and anxiety, as there's sniffles all over the place. Uh, keep in mind, if we if we look back to um, to the 2015 flu season, we didn't peak then until late August, and so July to August is when our traditional flu season peaks, and uh, that's uh, that's why we're going to see some restrictions in place as well, um, just until we get over that challenge also. But have a look at the the results of 2020 at the moment uh, and our flu season lowest flu cases ever recorded. So the impacts of this social isolation on COVID have had significant impacts on the flu as well. And that will save more lives uh, than, than even the, 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 the great outcomes we've had around COVID. Let's put up some data around that for a moment and to put things in perspective. As of today, there are just under 7,000 COVID-19 cases and there have been 97 deaths recorded. Each of those, of course, a tragedy. Let's let's look at, we're talking flu, let's look at uh, last year's flu numbers for a moment. Uh, and so last year, there were more than 313,000 flu cases in Australia and uh, 97 deaths from COVID, uh, 3,100 deaths from flu last year alone. And the death profile was of an older age group as we're seeing with COVID as well. So that's why with the um, unintended benefits of the lockdown uh, from COVID on flu, uh, we will save many more lives from flu this year than even we saved from COVID. So it's having some, some positive impacts across the board. So we understand the measures for it, Australians have been complied with it, they get it, they see what's happening firsthand in other countries, and so they are being model citizens in the response. And we as leaders need to keep that in mind and not, I guess, push, push staff or people further uh, than, they, than they're getting the advice from around public health and really you know, lead that public health measure uh, and message because of the, uh, the impacts, that, the positive impacts that we are seeing. Let's look at some of the attitude and sentiment of Australians and then uh, how we can respond to it as leaders. Uh, we've put out some multiple studies in this um, in April and uh, another one this month looking at COVID-19 and there's um, different studies. We've, we've done one for the education sector, one for not-for-profits and one for mainstream businesses and uh, grab those reports are all freely available and we'll put the links up for you. So we asked Australians from this survey of more than a thousand Australians, how are you feeling about the future? And you can see that more than a third of Australians are feeling extremely or very uncertain about the future. But probably what's most remarkable about, about this study is that the uncertainty was higher in the younger generation than the old, more than half of all Generation Z, those in their 20s, were feeling extremely or very uncertain about their future, compared to less than a third of the older generation. Uh, around one in four uh, of the seniors. So there is a, a benefit that comes from experience. Our older generations have been around the block a few more times. They've had more challenges or crises or recessions that they have had to deal with. And so they've got a broader sense uh, as to the context into which this sits. That's where a multi-generation can come into play in our churches, communities, and organizations. The younger people are feeling more uncertain, but the older people can go off for more confidence. The older people are feeling less resilient from a health perspective, but the younger generation feeling less resilient from an emotional perspective. And across the generations, we have some great solutions and some comfort that can be brought to pass. 
this question here, how have Australia's leaders responded amidst this COVID challenge? And uh, you can see the results there. Nearly eight in 10 believe Australia has responded as well or better than the other nations. And the data bears that out. So we asked Australians, well, what are the important qualities of a leader in a time of crisis? And you can see the key responses here that we ought to adopt as leaders as well. Number one, be completely open and honest with the sharing of information. We've seen our, our leaders do that at a national and state level, and they've been well rewarded in terms of support by the Australian public for that. Um, I saw the press conference of, um, of uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison recently uh, that was broadcast live, and uh, one of the journalists said, oh, you've just shared this modelling uh, of what's happening. Is there more modelling that you can share with us? He said, hey, you've got everything we've got. There's nothing we're holding back from you. And that's what Australians respond well to, and our team will as well. Let's be open and transparent and honest with sharing the information. Let's not try to gild it, uh, but uh, put it out there. Second, you can see, be prepared to make tough calls, make them early and back yourself as leader. And we've seen our leaders do that as well. And it's been well rewarded in terms of Australians getting on board that messaging. Yes, leaders have to make the tough calls, but if we're gonna make them, make them early and, and, and go with it. You know, there's never a perfect playbook for these things. Unprecedented is a word that we use meaningfully in this time. So as leaders, Let's step out, let's make the calls based on the best available information and, uh, and make them uh, in a timely way rather than double guessing and move forward with that direction. Our teams will reward us for it. Third on the list, lead with strength and communicate confidence. Now that's what our teams need, is a leader to step forward and to communicate that we will get through this. That's what we're seeing uh, being modeled by our national leaders as well. And it's, it's textbook crisis leaders you know we're hearing messages like hey we're on a bridge we're going to cross over the bridge to the other side yes we're in hibernation now but we will emerge from this this too will pass that's the sort of messaging that gives confidence to the followers and we need to make sure we're communicating that sort of message sharing the vision uh, and vision you know it's a word word there that it's, a, it's something you can see so through our word pictures our metaphors our case studies or or the the vision that we're casting, let's uh, project that uh, picture of where things will be and, uh, and that we can lead teams there. A fourth one is give voice to the experts and follow their lead and advice. We've got to get the research, get the evidence and base uh, our decisions on the best evidence that we have. And while they are all factors around leadership of strength and decision-making and communication, there's a, a second category of the leader and that's the EQ not just the IQ, the emotional intelligence. And that's what Australians said was a key number five for leaders, show compassion and empathy. We need to show that we can relate, that we're feeling the pain, that we're leading from within, from, from the front lines, uh, rather than from the parapet on high. Our teams will respond to that. If they're feeling the pain, we need to share that. And I think share more of that pain around salary reductions or around the extra work or around whatever those uh, those uh, challenges that we all have to bear are. Now we've seen in this time, not only the tough times, but uh, a lot of the, 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 the best of the Aussie spirit coming through as well. Um, this hashtag, caremongering, you know, as Australians have got out there and, and cared for their communities or this one, viral kindness, as uh, we've had a lot of Australians make a difference for those around us. And that's the realm of leaders to inspire that sort of response from our teams and in our organisations. You know, this is not the year to shoot the lights out with, with our revenues 
uh, just surviving from a cash flow perspective is the focus. It's the year to, I think, build the relationships with our clients and our customers so that when we're through all of this, uh, they will reward that loyalty, that support and that care. You know, we've seen it with the gyms saying to their, 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 their clients, hey, we don't need this gym equipment. You take it, we trust you. Bring it back when we're through all of this, but you use it in the meantime. We're seeing businesses, while there's been some opportunism, others are saying the opposite. You know, we're going to cut the prices on this. We're going to make this available to those in need. We're making donations here. We're giving back to our community. You know, I know in our business, a lot of B2B businesses are doing it. We're saying, look, we just want to run some research for you or deliver you these services. We'll sort out the tab later on, but but we know you need it. It's a crisis. Let's get it done, and, and we'll, we'll we'll sort the finances out on the other side. It's uh, it's that sort of approach that'll win loyalty for the long term, and that's the vision we need at this time. I put down here this statement we wrote in this report: Great leaders have not only a vision for their organisation, but a vision for their community, and that's the impact that they think. That's what kingdom businesses do, isn't it? Uh, they invest in the communities where they are planted. They make a difference with what's in their hand, their tools, their their, their opportunities, uh, their finances uh, to bless those around them, clients, the community, and beyond. So we ask this question of Australians, when will things be back to normal? And I think we see the wisdom of crowds here. We consistently find in research that if you ask an informed crowd, you get a better answer than if you just ask individuals. And so the collective wisdom of Australians on this, as you can see, is brace ourselves in for an extended period. Almost half are saying seven months or more in terms of how long we've got to get through all this before we're back to some sense of normal. And even if the, the health crisis passes over the next couple of months, the economic crisis will be here for a while. So we need to, as leaders, brace ourselves for the long game, not the sprint, and, uh, and be prepared to manage through this extended period. So what is the sentiment of Australians in this change of time? Uh, how are we feeling at the moment? Here are the top five responses of Australians amidst COVID-19. The number one emotion is anxious. 45% of Australians say that sums up how they're feeling at the moment. Number two is frustrated. More than a third feeling that. They had the plans and it's uh, come crumbling down. They had the goals, maybe personal goals, people getting married, people um, with their, their various celebrations, booking tickets for travel or trips, catch up with family or others, and it's come to naught. Frustration is very strong, and as business leaders, I'm sure we feel a bit of that. Channel that into innovation and adaption. Uh, third response to vulnerable, say almost a third of Australians. Uh, more than one in four are feeling scared, but I'm happy with number five on the list, more than one in four are feeling hopeful as well. And that is good to see. And when we broke it down by generation, we again found the older generations are setting a good lead here. They're less likely to feel anxious and overwhelmed and more likely to feel hopeful with it in the top three for the older generation. So we can offer comfort across the generations and through our experience. But when we asked Australians, how they felt COVID. It's been in nice, but one of the most visceral senses that it's been experienced has been at the shopping center, at the supermarket with those empty shelves that we have all faced. So we did a bit of a case study into this to find what was the cause of the shortages that we've experienced. The bulk buying, the, the mass buying 
was produced by just 6% of Australians who bought much more than they needed. That's amazing, isn't it? It shows the finely tuned supply chain that we have going on in Australia in our supermarkets. It's not geared up for mass buying. And uh, you just had 6% of consumers strategically bulk buying certain items and it threw the whole system out months later it's only just getting back to some level of normalcy. Um, that 6% uh, that, that bought much more than needed, that threw the system out, that uh, perhaps you would say were thinking of just themselves and not others. So very small percentage, and I think it's important we keep that in mind, but that 6% that, that, uh, that stockpiled uh, led another 30% to buy a bit more than they did, right? The panic buying, well, it's just being, I better go and get it and that blew out the whole system. So it does show the asymmetrical influence of small uh, numbers, and we need to keep that in mind with our own planning and our businesses, but also keep in mind that two-thirds of Australians felt the pain by the one-third that went out uh, and, and overbought. We asked this question uh, about what should be the response, and Australians are not in favour of government mandates or restrictions around purchasing limits. 94% uh, said Australians uh, should not be able to buy as much as they want. We all agree that people should self-manage and self-manage is the solution. Just 38% said that shops should place limits, even fewer said that government should. So uh, we do value the market uh, mechanism in responding to these situations, even as, as um, frustrating as they can be. So lifestyle impacts, what are we experiencing there? Well, loneliness is one of the key challenges that Australians are feeling at the moment. And again, we see generational differences. It's twice, almost twice that in the younger generation than the older that are concerned about increased loneliness and its mental health impacts. One in four of the older generations, the baby boomers and the builders generation are feeling that uh, compared to two in five of those in their twenties. Uh, when we asked about the resilience of the Aussie spirit at that time, uh, at this time, uh, we found that overall we're traveling pretty well. But as you can see from this graph, uh, we are most exposed from a financial perspective. That's where there is the least resilience is financially with our current income and expenses. And uh, you've only got 30% uh, of Australians feeling extremely or very resilient financially, um, seven in 10 uh, are less so. Uh, when it came to the physical resilience, now we've got uh, nearly 40% uh, feeling extremely or very resilient and emotional health. We've got almost 50% feeling extremely or very resilient. So pretty good going there, but it does mean half of Australians are not feeling very uh, mentally resilient. And the longer this goes on, the more we'll have to uh, keep that as a watch area and um, keep an eye out on others around that. Interestingly, when we broke down by generation, that while the younger generations are the most resilient uh, when it comes to finance compared to the older generations and also a physical sense feeling healthier um, than the older generations and, and that's that's what we we know you know as this impacts on superannuation and retirement savings it's those that are older and reliant on that the most impacted the younger ones have longer in their working life to bounce back from the financial challenge of this and physically we know it's impacting the older more than the younger but the younger as i said were were less emotionally resilient than the older generations so something like resilience impacts the generations differently and we need to keep in mind how those impacts play out 
across our families, communities, and our uh, teams as well. Well, there are challenges amidst this self-isolation, but there are opportunities as well. And I found this fascinating that we've got here, uh, one in three Australians say they've used this time to uh, benefit themselves in terms of more reading, more creative pursuits, more baking at home. Aussies have conducted more cooking. They've been creative in using those ingredients at the back of the pantry. They've saved a lot of money amidst this period. So there have certainly been some upsides to it. I like that one in four have jumped online to learn a new skill in this time. And one in five have reported stronger connections within their households as they have moved off the screens for their recreational time. Having spent the whole day on screens for work uh, as they work from home or, or indeed learn online, in the downtime, they're looking to not use screens. It's the opposite of what we've traditionally seen. You know, people get home from work or study, they go to the screens, not in COVID. They're trying to get off the screens. They're dusting off the old board games to play with families. Jigsaw puzzles have made a resurgence. People have found the cross stitch in the bottom drawer, got back into it. And of course, family games, nights, activities in the backyard, uh, and indeed a bit of gardening has all had a resurgence at this time. And I think that will continue. This slower pace of life that we've had now for two months, I think will be extended. Australians are looking back on it uh, and experiencing it now. And they're saying, you know what, this was the slowdown that I needed. And I think we will see some resetting of priorities even as we move post COVID. And that is a healthy thing. So what are the top responses or innovations we've had to this virus at a household level? Uh, number one, people being resourceful with ingredients and eating more at home. Meal planning so that they can shop less. Suddenly, a shopping list and the meals plan has become a thing that we hadn't seen for some decades. So we're not just doing the top-up shop every other day, but doing the trolley filler uh, less frequently. Finding creative ways to exercise at home. And much of that will continue. And again, managing those costs on a weekly basis um, as people uh, do a lot more of the DIY. Uh, rather than just outsource uh, a lot of those uh, services. Shopping online rather than in-store, supporting small businesses and shopping local has been a great thing. And for those of us that are running businesses where we're connecting locally, what a great thing. People have changed the circles of their life and they're traveling shorter distances rather than across town to buy things. Using technology to maintain, so maintain social connection with colleagues, family, and friends. And I think we'll continue to see technology being used for the best in terms of uh, connecting. We've seen how Zoom can work. We've seen how webinars like this can work. And we've seen how we can connect even through technology and we'll see the best of the social aspects of technology into the future. Here's what someone said in the research. Because we're in self-isolation, we can't go for our usual long walk. So I've been trying to exercise as much as possible at home. I've also been emailing and instant messaging people a lot more. I'm trying out different recipes to use up ingredients that have been sitting in the cupboard for a while. Uh, this person's summing up some of those key trends. So we said in the report, a key characteristic of a leader is foresight. The reason they can lead is that they see things not just as they are, but as they will be. So what's a sense of that and, uh, and, and what we need to bring forth as leaders in this time? Well, to uh, understand the Aussie characteristics and to bring the best from our teams at this time. We asked Australians this question then, what aspects of the Aussie spirit have you seen in this pandemic? And have a look at this, 41% say they've seen Aussie humour at play. We've seen the memes during the rounds. We've seen Aussies say, you know, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So uh, 
let's bring an optimistic spirit to what we're seeing. And that Aussie humour has played out strongly. Now, you Queenslanders um, are leading the charge here. More than half of all Queenslanders have seen the Aussie sense of humour amidst this challenge compared to just a third of those in the southern states of Victoria and New South Wales. Coming together in times of need uh, is the second Aussie characteristic that we've seen, that community mindedness, that, that, that sense of mateship. Well, this third one, keeping things in perspective. We do that as Aussies. Yeah, she'll be right, we'll get through it, no problem. Resilience and creative problem solving we've seen. Not taking things too seriously, that no worries attitude. Optimism, yeah, we're the lucky country. Yet again, we're seeing that. We might say we're the blessed country and uh, our results around COVID are phenomenal. Uh, and mateship in the community spirit has come through very strongly as well. Now, I thought I'd share uh, just a, a brief case study of a situation uh, in a previous uh, health crisis. It was the um, 1800s, the mid 1800s, and uh, there were dark days in England as there was another cholera outbreak taking place. Let me um, share with you John Snow, and uh, I'm not talking about uh, this John Snow for those Game of Thrones fans. I'm talking about uh, about John Snow on the left there, Doctor John Snow. He was an epidemiologist and a um, uh, a doctor, a physician that uh, was uh, at the forefront of looking into what was behind cholera. Now, back then in 19th century London, they didn't realise that cholera was a waterborne illness. They thought it was some foul air, they used to say, the miasma theory dominated. And so when there was an outbreak, they would get out the fire hoses, as this image shows, and they would hose down those streets and buildings to create you know, clean air. Well, that of course, just spread infected water further, getting into drinking supplies and so creating outbreaks. Well, there were dark days uh, in September, 1854 in Soho, London, as another cholera outbreak took hold. And within just a couple of days, there were dozens of deaths. Well, John Snow wanted to get to the bottom of this because he doubted this miasma theory. He had a feeling that it was waterborne. And so he wanted to go and look at where the outbreak was centered. And he produced this, the world's first infographic, this little dot diagram as he had the map of London and would put a stroke where each death was recorded. But have a look at that uh, dot uh, for a moment in the map. That is where the local Anglican church was located where Reverend Henry Whitehead was the pastor, the, the minister there. And he, um, he had the local knowledge and was the one that was able to take John Snow around to find where those deaths have occurred and record it. Now, John Snow wasn't from that part of London. He didn't know, have the local knowledge and he didn't know the local residents. It was the local reverend, uh, the good uh, Harry Whitehead, that was able to take him around. And I guess it's just a great example of where the local knowledge, the, the local leaders can uh, have a voice and an impact to bring about outcomes that can save lives in such times. I put a little box around the epicenter there and you'll see right in the center of where most of those deaths occurred there highlighted is a pump, a street pump. And there's a photo of it. It stands uh, to this very day on, uh, on uh, that, in that particular part of, of Soho, London. 
on Broad Street. I had a chance of going there uh, just um, uh, uh, late last year. And uh, prior to this uh, information uh, that, uh, that the good doctor was able to highlight, uh, they still believed in this theory of foul air and so many more people died. Let me read to you what Jon Snow wrote uh, on this, uh, having got to the very centre of this outbreak. On proceeding to the spot, I found that nearly all the deaths had taken place within a short distance of the Broad Street pump. There are only 10 deaths in houses situated decidedly near, near another street pump. In five of those cases, the families of the deceased persons informed me that they always sent for water from the Broad Street pump. In the other cases, the deceased were children who went to school near the Broad Street pump. With regard to the other deaths, I found the reasons that they used the water from the Broad Street pump. The result of this inquiry then is that there have been no particular outbreak or prevalence of cholera in any part of London except from persons who were drinking from the above mentioned pump. I had an interview with the Board of Guardians of St. James, Paris on the evening of the 7th of September and represented the above circumstances to them. In consequence of what I said, the handle of the pump was removed on the following day. And from the 8th of September, 1854, the epidemic came to an end. The solution was found and it was shown that water was the problem. There was cracks in that pump or in the pipes around the pump which was spreading that disease and causing the deaths. It's estimated that by removing the pump as a result of that infographic that Dr. Snow, with the help of Reverend Whitehead, was able to produce, uh, it saved hundreds of lives in that outbreak alone and many thousands thereafter. You know, pre-1854, uh, these were the messages that were put up on the streets when there was a cholera outbreak, avoid raw vegetables, uh, avoid ardent spirits and don't sleep or sit in a draft of air. But from that day on, the new posters read cholera and water. Do not drink any water which has not previously been boiled. So as leaders with local knowledge in our communities, we can make a difference uh, like the local reverend there connecting up with the epidemiologist. That's the sort of vision we need for our communities at such a time. So let me finish with a few insights for us as leaders as we think about the future of work. WFH has become a new three-letter acronym in this time, working from home. It has been the universal experience over the last couple of months and Australians have adapted well to it. More than three in uh, five Australians or just on three in five say that they agree that their job allows them to work from home. Seven in 10 say that their home is well equipped for them to work from home. And when we asked Australians, do you want more of this? Seven in 10 said that they are excited to spend more time in the future working from home. Almost seven in 10 say that they are as productive when working from home, if not more productive than when they work at the office. So all of this points to the fact that Australians are not only well equipped for it and up for it, they think they can do it very well in the future and they want more of it. So working from home is not just a current get by strategy, it will be much more of the normal. Um, uh, I put up here some, some data around working from home as well, where almost eight in 10 say that it will be the new normal. So as business leaders, we need to start to respond to that. It won't be all of our teams, all their days working from home, but maybe a, a couple in the team, a day or two a week or a day or two a fortnight will become more normative and will become the expectation. 
uh, we'll see therefore office floor prints shrink a little as about 20% of our teams at any one point are working off-site. Uh, we will see some costs be managed or constrained in that new environment. We'll see a lot more online learning as well, both work-wise and school and tertiary. In fact, you can see from our research here, um, almost nine in 10 Australians are positive about increased learning, whether it be vocational or university or schools that are learning online. So let me give you a few final tips to keep in mind as we lead in these unprecedented times. Three key tips. Number one, build culture intentionally. If this is something of the new normal, remote teams working offsite and managing them in a WFH environment, then uh, it means that we've got to make sure we're building that culture and that connection because people are more uh, separated. You know, the, the, the little the bump interactions that we have in a normal work day, the quick office conversations as we're making a cup or, or, or filling in, uh, filling up the, 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 the water bottle, you know, that, that we all miss out on when we work from home. So we have to intentionally build that collegiality and that social interaction. We wrote in the report that to many work is simply a job, but to many more, it's a lifeline to social interaction, purpose, and a place of belonging. And so from a personal perspective, we've got to keep that in mind. Look out for our teams in an increasingly remote working environment, build the culture and the relationship through these technologies that we're using right now. Number two, continue to invest in training. That is going to be key. Now, it's not going to be the offsite conference. It's not going to be the full day training in a, a boardroom, but we're still going to need to invest in that training through online or one-on-one or, -on -one or other forms that we can. We wrote in our report this, to remain employable, workers will need to develop a habit of refreshing existing skills and adding new ones. The world is changing fast. The key tools are innovation and adaption. It'll never be um, the, the speed of change that's, that's so fast now will never be this slow again, as we said. And so what is key is ongoing training so that we can adapt to the new circumstances and we can remain ever relevant and future-proof. So let's invest in continued training for our teams and for ourselves. And my third uh, takeaway here, use this time as an opportunity to innovate. You know, we've got the chance uh, with things we're working to, to, to get rid of them, uh, to try out new things at this time, to uh, adapt our business services and offerings. The ADS data on this shows that most businesses already have adapted their services or their products to respond to this new market and we need to do as we need to do that as well. Uh, we wrote in the report, the success of a leader is measured not by what they achieve in their tenure, but by what they set in motion. And that is key, isn't it? To start to set up systems, processes and procedures that can live on after the COVID crisis that can even live on when we've moved on to a new role or circumstance. Um, understand that the future will be hybrid, as I've said. Seven in 10 say that culture is at its best with everyone working um, in the one place as an ideal, but with increasing flexibility for remote working. So I think that will be our future. Uh, not everyone um, connecting virtually, uh, not all of us every day in the office, but a mix of both. And if we can build the culture in that context, continue training that context and make sure we're innovating services and our leadership styles, then that's gonna set us up well for the future. Thought I'd leave the final quote to Winston Churchill who knew something about managing through crises. And he said, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. 
So let's use this crisis, tough as it is, to innovate, adapt, to build the best in our team, to set them up for wins in the future, to set them up for what will be something of the new normal. There's a lot more in the report, which you can download here. I wish you all the best in it. And, um, and I'm sure you will thrive in your leadership through these unprecedented times. Mark, that's, there's so much value in there. Like, that's like drinking from a fire hose. That is, that is so much gold. Um, and you covered so many areas. I mean, I've got, I've got two pages of notes for myself as, as you've been, uh, you know, presenting here. That was amazing. I, uh, I, I like those little points that you made pretty early on. Two-thirds of businesses are down, only 4% are up, um, and one-third have already negotiated leases and things like that, which is some, some cold, hard stats. Uh, I really like the comment about leadership. You rattled through a few. One of them was they need to make tough calls early, and um, I just wonder, you know, as you're sitting there, what do you think for the small business owner might they be? Like what may be some of those tough calls that they should make sooner rather than later. Have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, the calls we make now will be remembered in the good times. So we don't want to do anything that might be punitive, that might be over the top, that might be opportunistic in terms of cutting back uh, staff that we don't need to or uh, rewards and incentives or earnings that we don't need to. But of course, business survival in the long term is key. And so we have to make the tough calls uh, for survival reasons and everyone will appreciate that because, you know, when the, the ship is filling with water, we've, we've got to do the bailing out. Otherwise, you know, all is lost and uh, and that's important. So it's, it's walking the fine line between the two. And uh, and I think if we can get the cash flow sorted, if we can, we, if we can right size the organization so that we've got everyone uh, fully functional and 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 working hard, um, and and we you know there might be some some earnings adjustments, but we get that right. Um, then we can I think start to invest in with, with an eye on on the recovery in not only our team and their performance. And now's a great time to do that training and investment if the workflow is slowing down a bit. But importantly, investing in those clients so that you know we're building that loyalty and goodwill, and that'll come on afterwards. So. Um, you know, I think now is the time to scrap a few of those things that may be marginal. Now's the time to um, right-size some of our business expenses if we need to renegotiate leases, if the floor plan is too large, if we've got some, uh, if we're thinking of making investments that now we think we don't need, then now's the time to pull uh, back from those uh, because it's it's cash flow preservation. You know, that is key at this point. And we don't know how long the tail's going to last. We don't know uh, where we're at in the dip. Um, you know, you saw the ABS... Uh, sorry, the, the ASX chart earlier uh, that looks a little bit like a V, but you know, it might be looking a bit more like a U. So how long before we recover? We need to have cash in hand and, uh, and have, have some, some powder dry, if you like, to, to utilize in the future. So I'd, I'd say take a conservative view, make the calls you need to make uh, for, for, for business survival, but, uh, but don't get, uh, get too down to the wire on it all in terms of um, uh, being punitive that, uh, that that might cause blowback if we're too harsh with clients or demanding of the of the the payments or uh, or indeed yeah, on our staff as well. Yeah, very good. You you also said that in terms of leadership, and I really like this. Leaders are you know you just start leading with vision, pictures, stories. Uh, you're a team of seventeen from your website, but it could be different today. But that's what that's what represented there. How, how did you navigate that? What kind of stories? Like, give us some intel on how you navigated that when, when this was happening. You put your team together. How did you cast that vision? 
Well, we, um, when we saw um, how it was impacting and how it was impacting, as we all saw, you know, the, 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 the society and household first from a health perspective, and then within days, it was the business to customer businesses, you know, coming to a halt from the, from the hairdressers to the restaurants and cafes. And then we saw, wow, second wave is the B2B, you know, which we are in as business to business. And so we knew we had to start to make some adjustments. We called our whole team, team leaders firstly, but then our whole team. And we said, we're gonna make some, some tough calls here. Um, and we did put it to our team uh, as we saw revenues dry up, as we saw the forecasts under pressure uh, around our, our earnings and, and what we might have to do around our hours and what we might have to do uh, there as well. Uh, and around some of our offerings, just to get back to core uh, for the moment so that we can focus on the fundamentals get through the storm and then we can look to the future. And, and, and we, um, you know, I guess, tried to put into practice those points of leadership I said, and we had full agreement and support of our team. We were as one on that, everyone agreed, you know, there's gonna be pain for us all, let's bear the pain together, let's get through this. And I, you know, hats off to my team that were prepared to, and invested in the, the business enough to say, we're with you on it and, uh, and let's go. And, uh, and they stepped forward and, and have worked more productively than ever, uh, more focused than ever. Uh, to get us through to this point. And, um, and so, you know, all of those things that we said, being clear and honest, sharing the trajectory, opening the books, showing the, the forecast, showing the finances, and, and why we all have to, um, uh, you know, uh, bear, bear through this in terms of hours, dollars, or, uh, or effort. And, uh, and they all stepped up and, uh, and have helped us weather it. And then, and then importantly, as we've been doing, you go back to the team and you say, look, if we're in challenging times for, and we've got to all bear a bit of pain for, for a couple of weeks or a couple of paychecks or, uh, or, or these incentives are now off the table. We need to then go back to them to share with the books and, and, and with an update on to how we're going because they're now owners in it. They've shared in, 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 in the, the pain, they need to share in the rewards and in the knowledge and the information as well. And we've, we've been uh, transparent in that sense as well. So, so I would say that that is key for us all as business leaders. Uh, to perhaps be more transparent than we ordinarily would and to be more candid and, and open uh, in these times. I think that's healthy anyway uh, as leaders with the next generation who expect that sort of candor. I, I like the way you, the, the team have stepped up. I mean, you know, mine too. It's like you do realise, team, that you've just set the new standard, right? Like this is, this, this, is, now, this is now the new normal, right? Everyone's focused and, and, and doing a good job. So... They've, uh, they've kind of created a rod for their own back in a small way. Um, the opportunities ahead of us for the kingdom, right? The gospel, right? There's, there's, there's charities and, and not-for-profits that are struggling. Um, there's a world that is scared, you know, with that trend ahead of us. You know, what are your thoughts on what some of the things that a kingdom business person can do or the kingdom business movement can do to help advance the kingdom of God at a time like this? Yeah. Well, how we act in a crisis is how we'll be remembered in the good times, in, in, in the recovery. And, and I think that's true as leaders in our businesses. And so, you know, as I said, you know, be as generous as we can, be as open as we can, be as supportive as we can. Um, and that, that, that will long be remembered. You know, when, when the good times roll on, um, and then if there's been no loyalty shown in the tough times, there's going to be no loyalty when suddenly the job offers open up. Uh, people will be out the door in a heartbeat and won't give, um, give any, any respect. So respect when it's given will be rewarded. And I think that that's true for us in our community as well from a gospel perspective. You know, Christians 
like we saw case study there with, with Reverend Whitehead, you know, ought to be the ones who are the, serving the community most because we have that vision for our communities, who ought to be the ones who are leading by example at the tough times, who I think ought to be the ones who are leading with confidence and not showing fear, who can step out and say, you know, we're not going to be intimidated by, by this virus. I mean, if, if things, if, if faith means anything, it's got to be lived out and shown in our daily life. We, we serve a good God. Um, he is still on the throne, uh, COVID or not. Um, we, we continue on. We don't jettison our values, jettison our care for others or our community or our giving or our um, uh, support for our churches or our, or our volunteering or, or any other commitment. Uh, in fact, we double down. And that gets noted by our communities. Uh, when everyone else is bunkering down, uh, hopefully it's Christians who are serving. Uh, when everyone, everyone else is worried about their own health, uh, hopefully it's Christians who are concerned about others. It's the good Aussie trait that we have that mateship and care for others, uh, but I think it's even more uh, the realm of Christians um, who walk in the footsteps of Christ and live in an other-minded way. We're seeing incredible fruit at this time. I'm sure we've all seen uh, the numbers of people tuning into online church around the place who are accessing these online Christian services who are looking for a sense of faith and resilience themselves and have found that their own sense of optimism or their finances or what they have rested their hopes in haven't delivered at this time and are saying, well, maybe I ought to explore something of uh, the things of God. And so in the tough times, we see Christians thrive and we see the gospel, the good news uh, be ever more well received and, and and i'm sure we're all seeing that and and for such a time as this you know what a great opportunity yeah that's so good hey if somebody's watching and they want to reach out to you have you got a couple of handles or maybe some urls that people can we'll display the links for your research but but just you as a company and you as a person where can somebody go yeah definitely we try as much as is possible with all the research we do to put it freely uh, up and available on our website and so you'll find on our blog you go to mccrindle.com.au, uh, you can access uh, all of our blogs and uh, reports and infographics, those visual portrayals of information. We've got a few sub-brands as well for, for different um, sections or, or, or business or industry sectors uh, that you can grab hold of as well. I mentioned analyzeaustralia.com.au, which has that COVID-19 report, um, uh, education future, .com.au is for educators and school. We do a lot of research into how to communicate and educate the next generation. And AustralianCommunities.com.au is where we put up all of our um, research into not-for-profits and giving in Australia. And so for any NFPs, um, some great resources there. So good. Hey, um, have you got a final thought? Uh, there'll be there'll be a whole bunch of Christian small businesses watching this. Uh, have, you got a, have you got a final thought for them, Mark? Well, I, I mentioned the phrase and, and, and I might repeat it here with the context of Esther. You know, there she was uh, living the good life in the, in the, the throne room uh, with the king and a crisis came. Uh, you know, uh, uh, people were at risk and, uh, and, and there was an evil plan at, at afoot to, uh, to, to, to kill many. And, and she was worried, do I put things on the line for this? I mean, I got the good life in, in the, the, the court here. And, and her wise uh, cousin Mordecai said, hey, Esther, for such a time as this, 
you've got this opportunity, you're in the throne room, you can influence the king, you can make a difference, you can turn things around. And she stepped out, took the risk and did, and uh, people were saved. And I would say for such a time as this, we as business owners and leaders are in these positions of influence, of resource, of organizational uh, opportunity to, to make a difference for our teams, for our clients, for our communities, uh, and beyond. You know, for such a time as this, as Winston Churchill said, let's not waste a crisis. Let's use it for the kingdom. Let's use it for good. Let's use it for others to make a difference. And uh, uh, by God's grace, by God's grace, I'm sure uh, we can do that. And I wish um, all of you uh, the very best in, uh, in in achieving that outcome. Mate, you're such a blessing. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate you. You've got a you've got a whole team there. You've got a, a busy schedule, and you've given an hour or so over to us. So I just want to say thank you on behalf of everybody that watches it. Thank you. Uh, it was a real blessing. And uh, well, Thanks, Wes, for what you and, do. Uh, no, a, a great delight. Thanks, Wes. Keep it up and keep up the, the kingdom business work. Appreciate it. When we can travel, I'll come down to Sydney and I'll take you for lunch, eh? Awesome. <laughs> thanks. All right. Bless you, Mark. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Mark.